Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wednesday Night Live. I'm Ron Crawford, coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And what a blessing it is to share this first Wednesday of 2022 with you. I am um, very excited about what this day holds for many reasons, not the least of which is that um, we can meet together to look at the Word of the Lord. But additionally, uh, this is really a day of prayer here at our church. Uh, this evening, 6 o'clock, we'll be inviting our congregation to come into a nice warm sanctuary and seek the Lord, committing ourselves, recommitting ourselves to what really is an apostolic calling for the world and for the nations. Um, this past Sunday, a very frigid temperature-wise day here in Dallas, I think when I, when I was driving in early on Sunday morning, it was 19 degrees, which is pretty cold for here in Dallas. The Lord said a number of things, not the least of which was Isaiah 61, um, verses 2 and 3, where we understood that uh, the acceptable year and what um, Isaiah 49 says, 49.8, the acceptable time, both of those acceptables are words that mean something that is fulfilling, something that is pleasing, both in our lives and in the life of, in the, in the existence of God. It's a mutual expression of our partnership with him and how integrally it fulfills. Our doing the will of the Lord and partnering with him fulfills something in the very deepest part of who we are. And that touch point in God blesses him and brings fulfillment. So, the acceptable year and the acceptable time and not necessarily things that have to do anything with chronology. God has its, his time, but as, as is often the case, as we've said, God's more interested in the journey than he is the outcome because the outcome is not up for grabs. It's going to be the way he wants. He's more interested in you knowing him and him knowing you and the fulfillment that comes from that eternal purpose. So the acceptable year and the acceptable time is more about us getting ourselves properly aligned with God and finding our delight in him and his delight in us. That's what that Hebrew word raison means. And um, But then Isaiah 61.3 speaks about... Um, putting on the garment of praise, Tehillah, which is a derivative of Halal, envisioning what God wants, then portraying it in the words you speak, the way you praise, praising forward, is not just getting, getting wild in the Lord, even though some of you would really benefit from that. Um, I think we all would, not just if you did it. It would benefit me if I saw a few people that I know doing it, but I need to do it too. Um, but but it really is a purpose-driven 
what is the vision of the Lord? I'm going to become that. My praise is going to attach to that and go forward in it. So the garment of praise is really you gaining that vision from God and being ensconced with that covering, that representation that you're doing the Father's will and and everything you are is directed toward that. But opposing it is the spirit of heaviness. Heaviness has a manifold definition. It begins with uh, being wearied, being worn, to the point then that your attitude begins to be corrupted and you you gain a dismal outlook and often that word translated uh, as heaviness means a blindness you lose vision so on the one hand it's the it's tantamount to the spiritual warfare that we're all engaged in there is a spirit of the enemy of the world partnering in many ways with man's spirit who wants to remove vision, who wants to cause you to give up, who wants you to not care, who wants you to become weary to the point of you saying, what good is it? Specifically opposed to the garment of praise, that covering, that mantle, that identity of gaining the vision of the Lord, committing yourself indefatigably with it, and then you are praising forward in that. You see that warfare. And we remind ourselves that this is the sermon Jesus preached, his first official sermon. He took the scroll of Isaiah and he said, Spirit of the Lord is upon me and and he's anointed me. And then you, you, you read that and you seriously read it. And if, if the Spirit of the Lord is on you and you are anointed and you're going to do these great things, why are you mourning? Why are you wearied? Uh, why, why are there so many uh, references in that prophecy to... Um, it's really a depiction of partnering with God and warring on behalf of the cause of light. You know, and then people say, well, we don't need to be warring. God did it all. He's sitting up there waiting. What's he waiting for? The father to say, bring my children home. What about my yoke is easy, my burden is light? Well, look at what easy and light are. There's there's nothing there that says it's not going to cost you anything. Those are terms that show you what your yoke should be. It should be being Christ-like anointed as a son, and and so forth. So people know just enough to be dangerous a lot of times. People know just enough of the word to exempt themselves or attempt to exempt themselves from any sense of responsibility. And, you know, that first sermon of Jesus, that scroll of Isaiah, which was carefully chosen, speaks about a partnership with God, but it is replete with um, very clear directives for you. If you feel this way, look up. If it was such a glory road where you didn't face anything, why would you be feeling that way? Why would God speak about vengeance? 
which he does very clearly here. Um, and this was not supposed to be my sermon for today. We'll get to it. The day of the vengeance of Elohim. Why do you need vengeance if there's not a grievance? Why do you need vengeance if there are not untoward actions? Why do you need vengeance if there are not people who crossed over the line and did dirty work? Why do you need that? Why would that be right there at the beginning of the sermon? If this wasn't a battlefield manifesto for the soldiers of light. And so... I think at this point, we have to adhere ourselves to the understanding of what Daniel said at the end time, where the enemy forces that are all around us right now, if you've not been paying attention, if you just listen to CNN, you're going to think everything's just great. Nothing. And, and I'm not ballyhooing Fox or OAN either. There are always agendas in the media. It shouldn't be that way. Oh, for the days of Walter Cronkite. Um, but, you know... You you have to recognize that these forces are operative, and one of the chief aims of the enemy, according to Daniel, is to wear out, to wear thin the saints. And then that initiates the spirit of heaviness. But the solution is to endure, to overcome, through the garment of praise, vision, remembering what God has said to you, having a sense of partnership and purpose, not just the general churchy thing is, well, I'm in the family now, I can just, God's serving me. When I go to church service, it's him serving me. And if I don't get a plate full of whatever it is I think I should have, oh, I'm going to go somewhere else. Plenty of other people that will take my hand and dance the dance of me being self-fulfilled. You know, we we need to recognize that being sons is a sense of responsibility. Jesus said over and over again, I must be about my father's business. And he's our pattern. We're to be Christ-like. What is the father's business? What is my father's purpose? And he always gave that as a rejoinder to those who wanted him to take the quick path or the the self-serving path. Even that was the strategy of the enemy in the wilderness temptation. You know, why don't you, you're hungry, why don't you use your power to make these stones into some a baguette? Why why don't you do that? Have a honeybee, I'm, I'm adding here, have a honeybee drop a, a cone laden with fresh honey to put on that. Ooh-wee, wouldn't that be good? That was not what Jesus was here for, and he didn't give himself as a sacrifice at Calvary for for you to live that kind of life. Yeah, all power is given, but it's for the purpose of the Father. So we're in this place, a very strategic place. We've been called as sons and as saints to intercede at the throne of grace for the will of God to be done for the purpose of God to be done, restoration to be done. As soon as you say those catchphrases, certain ministries jump up and say, well, I can tell you what the will of God is. 
and they go down through the line. They begin with Israel, and they go on down through the line. And then they forget about what Jesus said. You know, while the temple was still there, or at least Herod's temple, he told them to go away from there. Go to the ends of the earth. He didn't say, boys, you got it now. Search me out a red heifer and let's get cooking. No, the purpose of the Father is for the gospel of the kingdom to be preached in all the world, and then shall the end come. The gospel of the kingdom is to find indigenous people that God has planted in a land. He created them for a purpose. Teach them that they're to be sons, that they're to be intercessors, because God always searches for an intercessor. His Son, our precious Lord, our elder brother Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, is the chief intercessor. And if he's doing it, we do it. Um, and that doesn't mean praying for your 1989 Honda to start on a cold day, even though you should believe God for that blessing. Maybe you should be believing God for 2019 Honda, but that's a different thing. Um. God, prayer is not just your laundry list. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. I think that most, a lot of Christians have been so smitten by the, by the, the spirit of heaviness in pertaining to COVID and pertaining to the progressive church and the, all the uh, what about me movements um, and retribution and vent which is just another way of uh saying a payment on vengeance they're not seeking the good things the table spread before them that is here right now pressing toward the mark of the high calling forgetting those things that are behind and you're so overwhelmed by that that you've lost the vision let's just call it straight you have it but you just don't know where you put it you don't see it anymore. You've given up so close to the finish line. What did God do? This is a day we believe God wants us to reposition ourselves before him and submit ourselves before him as saints, as intercessors. Um, what, what is an apostolic calling anyway? That's a term that's famous now. Everybody's an apostle. What does it mean? Does it mean you have a lot of people listening to you? No. Does it mean you got a really special anointment to get goosebumps on people? No. Does it mean there's a lot of people that want to come and align themselves with you? Not necessarily. An apostle is somebody that is delivering a word from the throne that is new and fresh from him, built on the foundation of what's already been here. So if you've just found five new ways to spin your story, your seven sermon Sam, and you've got these seven great moves that always get you attention, that doesn't mean you're an apostle. You know, a donkey could speak and prophets could hear it. That doesn't make that donkey an apostle. And an apostle is somebody that has a calling that you're continuing to press that message 
under the direction of the Spirit into places that haven't heard it yet, and then to to see to it that that message takes root uh, in obedience to the Spirit's directive, uh, planting, watering, and in believing for God to give the increase. Uh, the first sign of an apostle, uh, according to Paul, is patience. It's before the signs and wonders. It's patience. And a lot of people that are called apostles are really evangelists. We need them. But I would dare say, and with all respect to evangelists, that maybe their patience quota is not overflowing. They want things. They want them now. Let's let's get it now. And we need that. But you you also have to have somebody that said, you know, I'm I planted that. I have great patience. Uh, my, my heavenly Father is this is the is the divine husbandman. He's watching over this. I'm serving him in it, and I got to wait till the harvest comes in its time. I've done everything I've done to stand. I'm going to stand here. That's apostolic, and so the very things that the spirit of heaviness comes against. Try to wear you out, make you forget about your calling, make you lose the vision, are characteristics of apostolic patience that are under attack. So, you know, the Apostle Paul said, Should I preach the others gospel to others and myself be shipwrecked? Am I coming into the shore and am I gonna crash myself upon the rocks? Um, because I'm, I've lost focus on the end goal, and I get over too far, and I'm, I'm grounded on a shoal, or I'm busting up the hull with uh, rocks and coral that aren't seen on the surface. So I think the first thing we need to do is to remember, God has called us to be saints. Um, maybe, maybe when we open the package and all that. All that uh, rejoicing and uh, surprise, maybe, maybe that ain't returning. But to cherish the gift, which is the essence. You, you ever notice that babies will often play more with the box than they do with the gift? And I think if, if we were mature and not baby-like, we focus more on the gift than the box and the ribbons and the wrapping that we all cherish so much. Oh, I just want it to be like the beginning. Oh, those, it was wrapped so nice and there was a sense of anticipation and ooh, it was just so pretty. It just made me feel so good to see that box spiritually there. And oh, I want to play with that box. Oh, I want that paper again. Oh, I want those ribbons that only God and Sandra Carter have. Oh, I want that. Now it's the gift that you need to get and learn to use. Learn to use. That's another one of my failings. As a, a, you know, I would get something and I would immediately put it to use as a present, especially an electronic thing. And I, I then would become fluent in those initial things and never really push the envelope to figure out, never crack open the, 
the 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 book of uh, of instructions. <laughs> I don't know. Some of you may be that way too. Some of you go overboard the other way. You get so ensconced with all the bells and whistles that you forget the reason this thing is here. So today we're we're before the Lord as saints here at the Father's Church, and we're inviting our saints family to also consider, you know, wherever wherever you are, whenever you meet, well, however you apply it, a, a getting back up on the altar is a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable before God, which is our reasonable service. It's how we're supposed to function. And say thank you for this understanding of being sons, not just children, but heirs and joint heirs. That's another thing. When we first started teaching about that, oh my, did the fur fly. People were so offended. They said, oh, it's works. You're preaching works. How can you say that one person could be used in a way that another person? We've got it all. We've got all the gospel. We've got it all. Man, you may have it. Are you using it? I mean, there, there. It's God that said sons and babies and sons and heirs and joint heirs. What's he mean by that? That's progression. That's progression. That's promotion that only comes from the Lord. So we want to be that good and faithful servant. And um, we, we want to strive to be that, to please our Father in this acceptable year. So that calling of being an intercessor, that calling of being a saint, which goes after from the Hebrew root, Hagah, which means to, to go after something that was originally created for good that then became um, corrupted or perhaps ugly, misused, dirtied. The feasts of Adonai were labeled by that because God wanted everyone to come and find their place, which is what Adonai is. Everybody in the structure, the military structure, the familial structure of the Lord, devoted to whatever it is that he wants to refine and perfect and restore. Um, and that, you know, when you look in Ephesians, when God released the fivefold office and he said, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, of course, you can read that for yourself, but there is a, there is a continual measure of refinement and perfecting within us, but also going on within our calling. And until it is, it, it's, it's, it's being the refining fire, the, the trying of our faith, being as precious as gold. You always are being made perfect. And um, it, is a, it is a grievous misunderstanding. I won't call it a lie. But it is a grievous misunderstanding to say that when you're born again, you got it all. You have the potential for all the things that are inherent to the sacrifice of Christ and, and your identity as a son, but 
you don't have it all. Any more than saying when my grandson is born that here's the keys to the car, Levi, go out and take it for a spin. He's not ready for that. And even when he thinks he's ready for that, he's not ready for that. Don't we know that to be true in our own lives? So we're called to be saints. We're called to be intercessors. And we were given, we didn't ask for this, we were given a gift from God that overwhelmed us. And it was diversities of tongues. It just snuck up on us. We weren't taught about it. We had no special message that we heard where come up here to the front and fiery hands will be laid on you and you'll get it. It just came and it spread. You think Omicron spread. This gift spread. Now, not to everybody. Some people had a supernatural aversion to it and they said we we already have that we have unknown tongues let's talk let's talk about unknown tongues in this broadcast because when you talk about glossolalia which is unknown tongues which i believe you know it's what was given on the day of pentecost and what the early church spoke about but then Decades later, Paul was writing about diversities of tongues to a spirit-filled church, and he brought that into alignment with the um, with the fivefold offices. And you can see it very clearly there if you're looking for it. Diversities of tongues, which is genos, which we've taught on and we'll taught on, we'll teach on again, just as a refresher. Um. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of what we have. But particularly unknown tongues is a starting point. It's a base. And the laws that the Scripture give concerning what unknown tongues does are also uh, the foundation of the same building of spiritual languages that diversities of tongues builds upon. So the promises for unknown tongues still function in diversities of tongues, but when you begin to minister in that grace gift of diversities of tongues, it goes beyond the limitations of the elemental gift of unknown tongues. Some of you may need to, on Spotify or on the website, go back 20 seconds and listen to that again. It'll it'll help you. Just let it sink in. So, unknown tongues is what the Father gave to the church on the day of Pentecost, the first fruits feast. And um, when the ecclesia, the church, was born, and remember what the ecclesia is. It is not the gathering together of people that are sequestered in their little hovel, waiting, uh, separated from the world, waiting for the trumpet blast. Oh, we got to come out from among them and be separate. Uh, I've heard that, uh, and, and it is a scripture, but what does, where does that really mean? He was telling them to come out from among those who, um, who were of their group that had gotten into false things, demonic things. Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come over unto me. But that's not what ecclesia means. It's an easy jump. It's a convenient jump. 
And again, it it it's a whole lot easier to sequester yourself than actually do work. Ecclesia was the Greek in the Greek democracy, it was the governing body. It was the democracy. And so there were people of note throughout the land who were either governmental people who understood how democracy should work. They were schooled in that. Or people that were skilled in war, people that were skilled in finance, people that were skilled in in farming to where they could they could provide lots of food for the land and if there was a decision that needed to be made something pressing on the national interest they would send out runners to these people and call them in to decide what the kingdom should do that is what ecclesia means that is what was supposedly birthed after the sacrifice of Christ, after the resurrection from the dead, after the ascension, it is what Jesus commanded his people to go and offer, if you read Acts 1 and 2, you find this, to offer supplication and to gain understanding and to wait for the promise of the Father and given by the Father. And the ecclesia was born. So when God's promise came, it was first an identity upon the born again so that they could serve God on behalf of kingdom business, rooted in supplication and intercession. I'm not making this up. This is, this is what the scripture says. Secondly, then, he gave this Sound of a rushing mighty wind, which is really, to me, an opening of the heavenly intercession. It was a sound of wind. You know, your my voice is a sound created by wind. Um, and and that rushing, accomplishing wind. It's like God opened the door for intercession. And then he gave a lifeline, a functionality line, a gifting of the languages of the people that were there in Jerusalem. But it said that they were, everybody heard the, the wonderful works of God being spoken. Acts 2.11 says that. All these folks that were there, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God, megaleos, which is a derivative of megas, one of the five power words in the New Testament. And this one speaks about the spread. This is the greater work shall you do. It's how the kingdom will spread. So really, what they heard being spoken were things God was saying he wanted to do in their lands. Now, you will find theologians who will say this was a xenolalia. You know, recently, the scorning media has said that anybody who wants to defend our border are xenophobes. That's another, that's a a $5 word for racist. Well, xeno is an extension of of many different nations, languages, 
it's all-encompassing. But these people in Acts 2.11, and that word is really not there, uh, but the, the focus was on glosa. They heard these people speaking about what God wanted to do in their land, in their, in their Zeno. And um, so the, the door opened, you could hear the sound, um, these tongues came, fire was there, they were baptized with the Spirit and with fire. It, it was an indication of, of the culmination of Jesus' ways, the ways of God through Jesus, where the, the judgment and burning of that was for these ones to be redeemed to the Father, us, through his blood and only through his blood, that they would begin to function as sons, that they would function uh, as intercessors, that they would be functioning before the courts of heaven uh, in conjunction with heavenly intercession. And um, so that spirit of function and fire was on their heads. They, on their heads. It didn't encompass them. Do you notice this? It didn't encompass them. It directed their vision. It directed their 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 expression it directed their thinking it directed their interpretation it directed their face and commune with god it directed their ability to hear it directed uh, all of these things into a focus of what god had done through jesus and what he expected now since jesus had ascended to the right hand taken the little book and now he's ever living to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This was, a, this was an entry, an invitation and an entry, and an equipping. Do you see all that? It's not like the old days. I was raised in a Pentecostal church. My family had roots in the Methodist church when they were Pentecostal in the, uh, in the very late 1800s, early 1900s. And um, so I know the Pentecostal dogma. I was trained at the preeminent Pentecostal school and college and, and seminary. So I know the drill, and I appreciate it. But I think that there was a limit. I mean, growing up, people thought, okay, I'm going to speak in tongues, and once I got it, I got it. Whether they used it every day or not, didn't matter really and it's just be honest whether they understood what it really meant in scripture or not just just be honest they didn't we didn't i heard the teaching i heard the preaching i heard the instruction as to what it meant for us on a seminary level i heard my professors tell me that pneumaticos simply meant somebody that was a spiritual person well that could mean anything that could be gene diction People don't know who she is. I'm dating myself. Um, but, you know, the point is, is that tongues is, is really devoted to you, glosa, glosa, just the tongues God gives you in your baptism in the Spirit, is devoted to you, drawing near and being trained into the position that God created you to know from the foundation of the world. Let's look at some of these scriptures. Because some of you who are hearing this, maybe you've tuned in, you're scratching your head right now, you think, he's really twisting it. No, I'm not. 
I'm looking at some scriptures that maybe you just glossed over on the way to a promise. This is our identity. So I gave you an outline there. And I'm not going to read every one of these verses. I'm referencing them. You've got them there. You read them. Uh, Isaiah 28 prophesies upon how God wants to develop us, precept upon precept. That is the way a father trains a son, the way a a master trains uh, the one that is assigned as an apprentice. You learn those things, those concepts, you get them in motion. The line upon line are the specific things in sequence that you're trained to do. And then there are other things. Uh, Here a little, there a little. Those experiences we know in life. You learn things by doing that aren't in the books. You learn nuances that aren't specifically spelled out because you don't anticipate them. You learn through discovery. You learn through the doing. You do and then you teach. So that's where that here a little, there a little. Plus, it's the Father as he leads us, as El Shaddai is instructing us. This is his way. So with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. That's in conjunction with line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Do you see that? You cannot separate that. You cannot decontextualize that. It's there. Now, Jesus said in Mark 16, and boys, the enemy fought this 16th chapter of Mark. On the one hand, people who do higher criticism, and I think that's a very interesting term to be used for those that are studying the scripture, higher criticism. On the one hand, they'll say that Mark was the signature gospel that uh, was borrowed by other writers. But on the other hand, they'll say that you can toss out the 16th chapter. It's, it's suspect. It's just, it's, it's just unfathomable to me. But here in Mark 16, 17, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they'll cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. You know, I'll say this. You know the way you overcome evil? With good. You know the way you overcome darkness? With light. You know the way you evict the devil? By doing what God wants. By doing what he wants. Uh, The enemy comes in to oppose, but he flees in seven ways. As God's ways are applied, the enemy can't stand. And and I, I remember, how did this change? I remember the first few years, and I do have a good remembrance of it. We knew that if we did what the Father did, the enemy would recoil and flee. When we first began to travel in vision and in, in, in operative points where God let us as seers see what was going on, the enemy was the enemy forces in foreign lands were stunned by what God had given us. And over the course of time, as that became commonplace for many, they thought that they needed a new bag of tricks to, to impress the enemy. That's just, that's just enemy misinformation. Still, light drives out darkness. Prove it for yourself. Sit in your house tonight. Turn out all the lights. Sit there in the darkness and then flick the light on. What caused the darkness to go away? 
your hand or that light coming on? What did it? So here you have Jesus saying that if you are believing and speaking in tongues and you're functioning according to the name that God has given. And what is the name? It's just not said, I said the name of Jesus. There are a lot of people. The sons of Sceva said the names of Jesus. How far did that get them? Really, that's in the scripture. Hey, you know, we, we're, we're vagabond Jews. We, 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 the sons of Sceva, which means left hand, we're going to go out and we're going to cast us out some devils. And they came speaking Jesus' name. And what did that demon say? Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? So it's not just saying the name of Jesus, even though that is the greatest name, the name above every name. We revere it. We love it. But it's about you functioning in accordance with what God has empowered you to be and to do. Drive-by deliverances have no place in Christianity. That's like you see those scenes of third world countries where you have people with, I'll say this, and people will say, I'm a xenophobe. We've seen the videos. People, I'll just say this, people in foreign lands with submachine guns, they just get excited and just get firing them off into the sky, hooting and hollering. And let's just go and attack a town. That's, that's, that's not the way armies should function. And it's not the way the kingdom should function. So if we're functioning according to name, that means that we've been given authority for a specific purpose. You speak in tongues. When you do that and you believe, devils will flee. They'll see you coming and they'll flee. Boy, I may not get through this list. Oh, we still have some time. So the gift was given at Pentecost, Acts 2-4. I just talked about that. Why is it tongues? that God gave. Well, first of all, everything begins with a voice. It is our mechanism of expression. Intercessors God looks for. You have to have the ability to enunciate and to speak. There are a lot of times in heaven when when you're in vision or when God catches you away there, the scripture says, unless some of you say I'm speaking about telekinesis, that we'll know as we're known. How's that going to be? How are you How are you just going to know without somebody telling you? Don't judge things according to appearance. Well, how are you going to know unless there is a there is an understanding there that circumvents the need to speak? However, God speaks. God looked upon the earth and darkness covered after the, the spiritual battle of the rebellion, and he spoke. He light. He spoke it. Everything begins with a voice, a declaration, a proclamation. It's just the way God chose it. And so the tongue, first of all, is what we need to be using out of the abundance of the heart uh, devoted to God. But secondly, I think that it's, even in itself, the tongue can be used for darkness. You read in James 3.8, the tongue can no man tame. 
It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You know, there, there is another passage about the heart that speaks that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? But both of those God wants to use. Out of the abundance of the heart, the, man, the mouth speaks. But we find scriptures that say the heart is desperately wicked and that the tongue is an unruly evil. So I think that God, what you see there is that, uh, and the tongue is set upon fire as hell. If you, if you read James 3, it really gives a good picture there. These are perversions. These are iniquitous functions that the enemy takes advantage of. And um, But we were not created for them to be doing this. So I think that when God gave this gift in the way he gave it, he addressed the essential identity that we all were created to function in in eternity for the throne, the heart and the tongue. Isn't that interesting? I, I think that's... That's really a fascinating thing. And and we have to discipline ourselves. Why were the people destroyed in the wilderness when they came out of Egypt? Because they murmured. And as we have studied, you can study too. Murmuring is the same word that is used to describe meditation. You can meditate on the things of the Lord or you can and and then speak forth in praise and devotion. Or you can think nasty things in your heart and you can murmur and be destroyed by it. It's, it sets entire forests on fire, James says. And so this gift, when the door of intercession was opened and the ecclesia was formed and God put fire on the heads of the people and uh, they were speaking in these languages, speaking about what God wanted to do in their lands... He used the tongue. Now, the intercession, the supplication specifically that was offered in the upper room, that was using the heart in its proper in its proper form. Not everybody wanted it. See, we still, no matter how much we are, we're still human. And we judge churches, their success by how many people they have, or what hot music they have. Or, or the, the slickness of their web designs. And we should strive for excellence, but we judge things based on that. We, we, should, we should not look according to the eye. God doesn't judge by outward appearance. He looks on the heart. And so here was the church in the upper room before they became the church, born-again people. There were 500 of them upwards of 500, according to the scripture, that saw Jesus ascend, that the angels appeared to. Why were there 120 then? 25% in a short amount of time were all that was left. Boy, those people need to go to a church development seminar. They need to sit down with with, uh, district officials to learn how to fill their church. God is going to refine people. He wants it for everybody, but not everybody will want it. The Bible says in the end time, 
Judgment's going to begin in the house of God, and there will be a tremendous falling away first. Do we see that today? Yeah. How do we react to it? Well, hopefully not pridefully, hopefully not pointing the crooked crooked finger of pointing out what is true. Well, we shouldn't we shouldn't use our mouth and our thoughts for that. It's pollution. It'll harm you. Don't think on it, no matter how true it is, how factual it is. Don't don't think on it. View it through the eyes of the Lord. Did God make those people fall away? No. Any more than he made the the 380 or more uh, abandon their post. See, before God does anything, there's always going to be those that are presented with the opportunity and walk away. Look at the study of Gideon. God was supervising that. You still have too many. Look at Saul. The test was when Samuel was supposed to arrive and the people were leaving. And Saul said, where in the world is Samuel? Where's the promise of the prophet? Where is it? I better get take matters in my own hand. I'm losing, folks. God was watching that. Was he still going to move no matter how many were there? Yeah. Well, we're like, in so many ways, Saul, who said, I better take matter in my own hands. I'm greatly discouraged. People are leaving. Do we want them to leave? No. But that happens. So Pentecost was a culmination of the works of Jesus. Uh, well, I want to say culmination. It was, it was the final artist's touch of the completed work of Jesus. How's that? But then we've got to do something with it. We've got to function in it. And, um, but the fact that it came upon tongues, which is an unruly evil, full of no man can tame it, full of deadly poison. Woo! Why didn't he just give it to the mind? Well, the mind isn't any better. The mind is at enmity with the things of the Spirit. See? <laughs> it's all, all of us. Are, are, uh, it's a battle of iniquity and purpose. So God gave the anointing on, on the very things that can be destructive so that we can Pentecost was a restoration focus going into the new day. You you have a first fruit celebration, which means the harvest has come. You're giving the best of the best, and you're looking forward to the new day. What great things. So look what else. 1 Corinthians 14, when you pray in the Spirit with other tongues. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit... Praise. Understanding is unfruitful immediately. You've got to train that understanding. You've got to, you got to, what the Spirit gives you, you've got to cause your mind in alignment with the Scripture to begin to think that way and make it happen. The battle is in the mind. But my Spirit prays. See, when we were young kids and we were receiving the gift of the Spirit, 
we say, Jesus is the baptizer and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be baptized with the Spirit with power. And we thought, oh, this is going to be like a heavenly shower. Uh, maybe, I don't know how this is going to happen. God's going to make it happen. And we never really realized that it was our, our spirit that every one of us has and becomes born again only when we accept Christ. That that's what prays. It's not a bolt of lightning from heaven. It's within you. So if we're waiting on spring up, a well, within my soul, out of your innermost being will flow rivers. Your innermost being is your spirit. And it's that that prays in unknown tongues. Do you see this? Am I making this up? Am I twisting the scripture? No, this is what the Bible says. And so, what is your spirit? It's that gift from God that you'll give back, just as Jesus did, into thy hands commend I my, commend I my spirit into your hands. They gave up the ghost or the spirit, as other scripture says. You'll give that up. So, it, to me, it is the life of the Lord. It's the indwelling of the Spirit. It is, to me, it's a capacity. The Spirit always does something. The Spirit of God is directed toward his way. So whatever God has given you is inherent with what he wants to accomplish with you. Before you were formed, I knew you. When you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. From the foundation of the world, I knew you. When your spirit is praying, you are speaking out of that place, which is a divine life source, born again through Christ. But it is also, um, it is also speaking out of the divine eternal identity God has given you. So what do you speak? 1 Corinthians 14.2 He that speaks unto in an unknown tongue speaks not to men but unto God. You're communicating through your spirit to God, the eternal spirit. Nobody understands in the natural. Just like on the day of Pentecost, they'll mock you. In the spirit, you speak mysteries. Mysterion. What is God revealing now? How are you partnering with him in intercession to welcome what he wants to do next? Mysterion. It's different than apocalypsis, which is the overall measure of what God is wanting to do. It's that overall measure of the divine, the overall encompassing mystery. Mysterion, like a mystery novel, is progressive. And you're praying that out of your spirit to God. What else are you doing? Well, look at the next verse. We don't often focus on this, but look at this. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit. It's a prosuke. That's another discussion. Uh, that comes out of supplication prayer. It's an understanding that then forms your your prophetic prayer. 
And I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit. Eulogio. We don't often focus on this, but it's there. When you are when you are speaking in the Spirit, singing in the Spirit, you are speaking a eulogio. What is this? You, you is the good purpose of God. Logos, logio, is that unyielding, forever settled, eternal purpose of God. The logos is, we know the word, the rhema, are specific verses and specific concepts that the Spirit is illuminating and empowering for that moment. But the Logos is the eternal function. So in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14.2, we're speaking to God about the mysteries. In 1 Corinthians 14.15-17, uh, we're, we're speaking in the Spirit, with His Spirit, through the Spirit, Eulogio. So you've got both of them. You've got the foundational things being enunciated, and you've got the mysteries. And I think that is very important for us to see. What happens when you speak in unknown tongues? Continuing. 1 Corinthians 14, 4 through 5. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Oikodome. This means to build according to the architectural plan, to the envisioned plan. So when you're speaking in tongues, you are progressively developing God's plan from eternity for you. When one is established, God then takes you into the next. You gain understanding. You build upon that. You mature in the things of the Lord. But it comes through speaking in unknown tongues. Look at what Jude 20 says. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Your most holy faith, that's a saintly walk as orchestrated at the right hand of the throne of God. Building up, here is a derivative of oikodome, but it's it's the derivative means to build upon or to keep on building upon the established work according to plan. So on the one hand, 1 Corinthians 14 says that when we pray in an unknown tongue, we are allowing the plan of God to be built and developed according to what he ordained us to be. In Jude 20, and you are now entered into a saintly calling at the right hand of God, and you are in that process of building upon the foundation and the first floor and the second floor and the structure within. But it's through speaking in tongues. Anybody dispute that? I hope not. And this is why, you know, when Jesus said... Um, not many days hence, you will be baptized with the Spirit and with power. Power, the dunamis, is function. Things will begin to function. 
when the spirit begins activated. Uh, that's that's important. It's function according to what God put you on this earth to accomplish. And all these things we've talked about just absolutely make perfect sense. Paul said, I, I speak with the tongues of men and angels and in accordance with agape. Agape, from the Hebrew agab, means to breathe hard after something, breathe hard after the purpose of God. It's not just doing benevolent philanthropic work, even though we should be willing to do that. And we should do it. But that's not what agape means. We don't dumb it down for weddings and funerals and good feely moments. You should be going after breathing hard after what God wants. And in the Old Testament, that root was not used. Uh, the high, very predominant percentage of use was in a negative way. But we use this for God. But I speak in the tongues of men and angels. And that's another topic. Just know for now that when you begin to do this, you activate partnership with angels in ways you didn't in any other way. And then I think that the last uh, verse that we will go into today is uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 17 through 19. For thou verily givest thanks well. The other is not edified. It's talking about in a church service. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. And here he says, when you do that, you're giving thanks, Eucharistio. You're moving in, in according to the, the good purpose of God in grace. So that's where we are. And um, we'll talk more about diversities of tongues later. I've written books on it. Pick up one of the books and read it. Remember, this is what God has given. But we have to remember... It's important for us to be speaking in tongues. We need to be praying every day. We need to be on our face in proscuneo. We must not allow the spirit of heaviness to dumb us down and to take us off target. Don't be concerned about what everybody else is doing or not doing. You do what God has given you. It is still as precious as the day you unwrapped it. And not only do you have diverse unknown tongues, you have diversities of tongues. That great gift that just explodes into uh, amazing ways. The genos lelia. All right, we're way past time. Uh, we'll see you tonight at the Father's Church at 6 o'clock in prayer. Please come. If you can't come, come uh, pray in the Spirit, wherever you are. And saints, let's all cherish these gifts that God has given us. It was the birthday gift of the Heavenly Father. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.